Our scripture this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2, and it's verses 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The word of God for the people of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, speak to us. Put me away behind your cross that it's your words, your heart, your mission. Amen. So, our sermon series ended on Christmas Eve. Um, we had a reflection in our video. I hope you guys were all able to tune in and enjoy our Christmas Day special. Um, so we're in between sermon series, so I decided to preach from the lectionary. Um, so our sermon today is called The Holy Name. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, there might be a guest with a friend. I am the director of congregational care. I am not the senior pastor. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, he is in... Um, <laughs> He is in New York celebrating the holidays with his family. So um, this morning, um, you get the second string. And uh, so in Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare wrote the famous line, What's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. The idea here is that the names are intended to distinguish people or things, but that the name itself has no meaning or worth. A rose still smells sweet, no matter what you call it. The name rose doesn't change its purpose. As people, we know that names are important. People get offended if you forget their name, or if you call them by someone else's name, or 
if you pronounce their name wrong. I don't get offended by that because it reminds me of my grandfather who never got my name right. And so now that he has passed and I encounter someone who pronounces my name wrong, it just brings back good memories. Um, (laughs) But we often focus on a name so that we will recall it when we encounter that person again in the future. We are aware when we struggle to remember someone's name because we know the impact of that. Names identify us. When someone calls us by name, it is meaningful. But what's in a name? If someone mispronounces our name, does it change who we are? If someone calls us by someone else's name, does it turn us into that person? On occasion, I get asked about the origin of my name. Interesting, I've never encountered, encountered another Jaron Fish. I've Googled. If they exist in the world, they've managed to not have a digital footprint, which is interesting in modern times. So if you Google... Jaron Fish, my picture pops up, which is handy because I dabble in music, and so it's easy to find my music because I'm the only one who comes up. (laughs) There is a female model. Her name is Jaron Taylor. She pops up, and pictures of fish pop up. (laughs) So... uh, (laughs) There are certainly other Jarens, and in fact, this girl named Amber who sat at my table in first grade was able to name her little brother, and she named her little brother Jaren. Um, I have a cow named after me, <laughs> which is probably a hamburger at this point. I've had a cat named after me, um, and my daughter Neely one time found some snails, and she named one of them Jaren. <laughs> so, where did my name come from? My grandfather, my maternal grandfather's name was Gerald. My mom was named after him. Her name is Jerry Sue, and it's spelled G-E-R-R-I. So, my parents, who thought I was going to be a girl... We're going to name me Elizabeth. But then they found out that I was a boy, in fact. And so they were looking for a name that blended the family names together. And so they were watching TV one evening, a show called Good Times. The credits were rolling. There was a producer produced the Jeffersons, he produced Good Times, his name was Jaron Keith. And so as that name rolled across the screen, they said, that's it, that's it. And so confusion began, they, and here I am. And, uh, and so my middle name 
is Thomas, named after my dad and my paternal grandfather. As parents, we put a lot of thought into what we name our kids. Lucy, my oldest daughter, her name means light. Her middle name is Joe, after my maternal grandmother, Martha Joe. Joe means God is gracious. Lucy happens to be our rainbow baby. Next, we have Vera. Vera means faith. Her middle name is Jane, which stems from both Kristen's family and mine, and also means God is gracious. Neely means champion or passionate. And that was Kristen's great-grandmother's name. Her middle name, and also familia, or family, (laughs) means grace. And then there's Gibson, which if you ask my kids, they will tell you his name means guitar store. (laughs) They're not entirely wrong. Um, However... His middle name is Thomas, which is my middle name, my dad's name, and was my grandfather's name as well, which happens to mean twin, which Gibson is a twin. The rest of us, Thomas, are twins in mannerisms and agitations only. In our passage, Paul is describing what having the mind of Christ should look like, particularly in the united, unified Christian community. This particular passage stands out in the letter to the church in Philippi in its eloquence and its care and its attention to presentation while the rest of the letter reads rather casually. Paul is addressing the personal quarrels that have arisen and disturbed the Philippian church. Cliques had formed in the church, which did not reflect the unity that should color the communal life of Christ's church. Paul's goal here is to make clear that in Christianity... Disposition is everything. And it is the same in quality, however great or small the issue may be. The comparison of personal conflict in the church to Christ taking on human form. And it and being obedient even in death on a cross may seem a bit extreme. But to Paul, it was that serious. After all, we are representatives of Christ. 
who was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The name above all names. Years ago, my family was involved in a church plant. The church had some car magnets. These were intended to promote the church. Maybe you've seen them for other churches, things like, follow me too, and then you wind up at Walmart. Um, (laughs) But they were distributed after service one week, and a lady named Debbie was offered a magnet. She said she would take it, but she wouldn't place it on her car. Because the way that she drove was not what the church wanted to be known for. <laughs> that's, that's really funny. <laughs> but if we were that serious about every minute detail of our lives, that they represented Christ, if we became so dependent on the power of the Spirit that every interaction was an unquestionable outpouring of the mysterious power of Holy Spirit. We are to share the same mind as Christ. Kingdom focused. Paul is calling Christian people to set aside self-centeredness. And to orient themselves with Christ, who modeled putting others over self. It's a call to embrace humility. Paul is calling for a countercultural movement, one that rejects the old model of elevating themselves and holding their status over others and follows in the better way. Of walking as Jesus walked. Paul describes what citizens of the kingdom of God look like. Jesus is the ultimate example of kingdom living. In that Jesus refuses to exploit the rights and prerogatives of divinity. And instead embraces the shame of the cross. Jesus did not take his identity as something to exploit for his own benefit. Unlike the Roman world, which would privilege the powerful and assumed that those in positions of high status would exploit it for their own benefit. Jesus reveals a different understanding of status and a different kind of God to the Greco-Roman world. Paul isn't just reminding the church in Philippi of this for their knowledge. Paul is urging them to follow suit, to be about the same business of sacrificing their privileges and their status for the sake of unity. In the book Called to Community, Howard Snyder wrote, As the church developed and spread through the Roman world, Its experience of community was complemented by the sense of being distinct people, 
The epistles reveal a strong countercultural consciousness in the early church, a consciousness that developed and deepened as the church spread across the empire. We are called to the same countercultural movement today as Christ's church. This call is absolutely a call to prayer and to entrust all things to Christ. But also, it's a call to action. We have been gifted uniquely for the kingdom of God. Not that we sit idly by and wait for God to change the world, but that we view our strengths and gifts as divinely given so that we might use our abilities and individual gifts to help usher in heaven on earth and effect change in the world. As Paul wrote to the church in Rome, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Death was not Christ's final destination. He was raised from the dead. Likewise, the church has not arrived. We are being transformed. And if we feel that transformation is complete, and that we are right to argue for our conclusions against the unity we are to have in Christ, then Paul's message in today's passage is especially for us. We praise the name of Jesus. Yes. But we have a responsibility to walk how Jesus walked. To live out this countercultural movement. It is more than praise with our lips. It's praise with our lives. Paul is urging the church in Philippi to put on the same mind as Christ. Transformed thinking. And just so there's no confusion, Paul describes it like this. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name so that at the name given to Jesus, 
every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus set aside privilege, humbled himself, became the ultimate servant, and died a selfless, obedient death. Jesus made a way. As we embark on a brand new year, maybe we've set some resolutions. If not, resolutions, maybe at least a set of goals, maybe hopes. Have you considered how you might intentionally live out your faith this year? Have you considered how you might make a way for those needing hope and love in the year to come? Have you planned how you might work toward unity in a divided culture? particularly in the church. In the end, it won't matter what my name was. It won't matter that only my picture comes up when you Google my name. That my parents connected with a name scrolling in the credits of good times. It won't matter that I was United Methodist. Was I kingdom minded? Was I united with Christ in such a way that no matter what my name was, Christ was evident in my life. What's in a name? Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Amen.